0: wait g'day guys and welcome to the coach mark carroll podcast today we have a special guest a friend of mine and also a great coach um jake campus i'm sure many of you guys know jake welcome jake to the show
1: thanks bro thanks for having me i'm I'm really pumped you've got a great shirt on there as well I'm, i'm glad we match
0: yeah, I'm wearing a Jake Campus <laughs> Nutrition shirt, but mine's black. Jake's got a purple one on, but we look we look very cute today, both of us. Yeah. Um. So I'll give a really really quick intro, and then I'll let Jake kind of take over. So Jake, I met a fair few years ago um, through the WBFF, and um, Jake and I have actually worked together on a couple of clients. Um, we'll kind of get through. Um in the show um Jenna Davies I'm sure you guys know Jenna and someone like um Emily we'll get to later on and so Jake and I've kind of worked together on some clients and yeah I've known Jake for quite a long time and he's um a really high level coach unlike you know most people in the on social yeah. media Jake's an actual coach and nutritionist so Jake do you want to give everyone a quick kind of elevator pitch just so they kind of know who you are and tell them a little bit about you and then we can kind of Really dive into your story.
1: Sure thing. So my name's Jake Campus. Um, I'm the owner and founder of a company called Jake Campus Nutrition. We are a team of qualified nutritionists. So I have a group of nutritionists that work underneath me, using my methods to help people around the world. Uh, I personally still coach myself, but like Mark, uh, limited spots with very exclusive sort of clients. More. The performance side of things, hence why we have collaborated on um, a few clients there as well, Mark being a training guru and you know, me being a big uh nutrition man. So for me, I have a degree in sport and exercise science and a postgraduate degree in nutrition, physiology, and musculoskeletal rehabilitation. I got a postgraduate. Uh, top postgraduate student when I studied as well so and I went to university on academic scholarship so I really love to learn I love knowledge um, and I'm really passionate about the health and fitness industry for a number of reasons Um, and for me I enjoy helping people reach their goals uh, and helping my team get better at their job and providing nutritional content for people to understand and easily digest that information so they can use that in their own lives. So that's basically my little elevator pitch on what I do for a living.
0: Perfect. The thing I like, obviously, there with Jake, he is, you know, well studied, qualified, but also, you know, years and years of experience. And I was actually talking about to someone, forget The other day about how you know these days it seems like people are often one or the other you know they're often super super smart and studying and all that stuff and all these qualifications but often not actually in the trenches enough or likewise some people are just yeah yeah i've been that trainer for 25 years but are you you know staying up to date with all the research and stuff like that um what i want to kind of talk today about is quite a number of things with jake with working with clients and things like that around nutrition meal plans some things like um, gut health or more so limiting things like bloating but jake i don't think jake mentioned there is also actually competing in what eight days time in the wbff oh, yeah. and what category yeah, so again
1: i'm a muscle model pro uh, prior to the wbff i competed In the IFBB, I got my IFBB pro card in 2014. I went to the States in 2015, competed in three pro shows, got second in all three of them. That qualified me for the Olympia. So 11 months after turning pro, I did the Olympia in 2015 for men's physique Uh, and then did a couple more pro shows with the IFBB changed direction wanted to do the WBFF had a friend Dan Mazzola who was heavily involved with the WBFF who had an IFBB background as well and sort of he pitched it to me sold it to me on you know the production value that sort of stuff um I really liked that aspect of it moved over now I'm a muscle model pro my last show was the Bahamas Worlds 2019 I actually uh, met Mark and Lauren there as well briefly um so (laughs) funny story We were there and we checked into our room at the resort. We saw Mark have this big room with a kitchen. Our room was small and poxy. Straight away, I called reception. I was like, hey, uh, Mark Carroll's got this room. I want one like it. I want a big room. I want a a kitchen to cook all my food. So I ended up upgrading myself um, thanks to Mark's story uh, on Instagram because I was like, man, I don't want this little, you know, 40 square meter room i need some space i need a kitchen so yeah it was that was sort of um my last show in 2019 and now i'm about to compete in eight days time so it's exciting to get back on stage this will be my 34th show and my 12th pro show
0: yeah so 34 more shows than i've ever done so just just a bit of experience so that's why i like it about jake you know um i also add, just so you guys get a bit of context, and I always like saying that, you know, Jake's one of the people, you know, for myself, you know, I'll ask questions and learn from as well, you know. So a lot of the times, you know, I think coaches, you know, act like they know everything and stuff like that. So Jake's one of the people, you know, I've, I've asked questions even when we've been out at night, um, on a yeah. night's out, I've asked Jake questions about nutrition, which I'm sure he probably doesn't want to be asked uh, about. But, you know,
1: I, 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 love, I love it. I love you know.
0: it. But, yeah, so Jake's one of those people, you know, i value so i th- I think um yeah, I think you guys will get a lot from this episode um what I wanted to start with is something which i I love talking about. I actually had Lauren on just last week talking about her build phase, and something Jake said was I think two thousand and nineteen you last competed, yeah, and now two thousand and twenty three you're competing again, which is quite a long time between shows, and you know I talk a lot about building and you know being a surplus and yes you're in comp but you know to me and my kind of way i look at stuff if you're a, just a general population person or you're a recreational kind of lifter if you're trying to do a build phase and grow muscle or your body build, it's all still the same kind of principles right it's actually getting out of deficit and spending time um, with calories up so what was the reason for such a long period between shows and when it comes to actually spending such a a long period between shows like how long are you actually truly in a build what was it planned out to do a, a, a long build was it done to improve or was it you know COVID times and stuff like that kind of if you want to just run us through kind of that time frame
1: so historically prior to that um, break that I had which was largely due to COVID and also relocating from New Zealand to Australia And then there was a few injuries in the mix there as well. Normally, prior to that, I would be building between shows. So it would be only six to 12 months tops prior to that, that I was in build phases because I was so heavily competing. Um, But I knew I needed to spend more time building. So after the last show, I realized you know I was outmassed on the world stage. I still did, did good. But it was my size being six foot two. I needed to be a lot bigger. So for me, I had no real end date when I'm not in a in a deficit. Which you know, like if you look at 34 shows, there's probably 34 deficits. You know, so when I'm not in a deficit, I consider that time to improve. Now, improvement for me is you know building muscle. That's my hardest thing to do. Uh, I do struggle to eat a lot of food for a long time. So. Normally I would build until I got to the point where I find like either my insulin sensitivity. So my fasted blood glucose isn't where it needs to be, or I'm struggling to get the calories in to continue to move my weight and training performance forward. Uh, And then I would do like a tidying up sort of phase of around, you know, eight weeks or so get a little bit leaner. So a mini cut, get a little bit leaner and then return to my build. Uh, My issue over the last uh, period of time in 2019, then obviously 2020, 2021 were COVID. So we couldn't really compete during that time. And I really relocated to Australia during that time. So there was a large maintenance portion during that because of obviously like restrictions and going to the gym. Uh, Then I had a massive hamstring tear. So then it was rehabbing that. And then I was back into a build and then I bulged a disc in my neck. So I was rehabbing that. So after that, I did want to commit a good year to building uh, without having, you know, rehabbing something in the picture as well. Because as you know, Mark, like when you're rehabbing an injury, it does slow you down with the ability to, you know, train movements you want to train, you know, you, you might be limited to specific things. So, When you're an advanced trainer, if you can't stimulate growth through certain mechanisms, so progressive overload, uh, different, you know, exercises, increase in reps and volume, then you are going to really struggle to put on mass, even if you, you know, you are doing everything right. If you're an advanced trainer, it does take a lot to continue to build muscle at that upper level. So I wanted to spend a long time. So I spent a year in a surplus, basically just eating training, focusing on my uh, rebuilding my hamstrings and glutes, uh, rebuilding the strength through my left arm after my neck injury, and just building size on muscle groups that I wanted to improve. So for me, it was about a year uh, of actual real building in that three-year period. There was stints of building in the other two years, but it was broken up because of COVID, access to gyms, um, and then injuries. So that's pretty much the last three years for me in a nutshell Um, for me though, I, if I'm not dieting, I'm probably building. I'm not really ever sitting at maintenance unless I'm forced to because of COVID or an injury.
0: So my question around kind of long-term builds and obviously you have a comp coming up. So when you have a comp that kind of gives you a date where you go, Hey, I need to get, get ready in 12, 16, 20 weeks or whatever. Um, But, a question i often get a lot because i talk a lot about you know hey do a build minimum you know 16 24 yeah. weeks etc and stuff like that and then a question that generally comes with it is well how do you know that you're done with a build like when is like the kind of time frame that you know you'd say hey that that's enough building you know especially cuz you're adding adding fat mass generally not just yeah. muscle mass and you're not looking as you know as perfect as you probably want to look when you um, cut down and stuff like that. So whether it's kind of yourself in the past or with clients, like how do you kind of personally kind of assess to a client? Hey, you know what? Like, I think it's time to come back down. Like, is there anything you're generally kind of looking for with a client or just they 100%. mentally feel it?
1: A hundred percent. So it is a combination of like mental, that's it. You know, some people will get to, you know, six or eight months and they're just like, I'm sick of eating this much food. I'm sick of feeling, you know, you know, full and tired, uh, and they, you know, sometimes they are sick of, you know, feeling like a little bit fluffy. Uh so sometimes mental is a is a reason to end the build. Oftentimes that coincides with uh digestive uh issues. So what I mean by that is, you know, they can't tend to eat all the food. So they start skipping meals, they start, you know, the training performance then declines because they're not eating all their food. Um they're generally just the compliance drops because it's that they're not hungry anymore, you know, straight after a deficit, you know, everyone says, Oh man, I can eat, you know, I can keep eating. I can eat as much as I want. I will, you know, manage that time because I'd rather someone stay hungry for longer and, you know, continue to grow at, you know, maintenance or just above, then continue to add calories just because they say, hey, I'm hungry. Hey, I'm hungry. It's like, well, if you're improving, uh, you know, your your training performance is improving, your lifts are improving, your weight's going up, your body composition is looking good, then there is no need for excess food. So more food doesn't mean more muscle. It just means you're going to, just like with the diet, you know, if you cut calories super quick, you'll adapt faster if you load in food, your digestive system's going to adapt faster, then you're going to have issues uh, assimilating that food, digesting that food, you're going to feel sluggish, that's going to have an impact on, you know, getting the actual food to the muscle to be used during training, so training performance drops, uh, and then compliance tends to drop uh, shortly after that when people feel like they're getting, you know, nowhere with eating all that food. So, Those are the main things for me. If you're not seeing, um, you know, increases in training performance and you're struggling to continue to eat the food required to build muscle mass, those would be the main things that I would say, hey, it's time to look at doing like a mini cut or because sometimes building might be a one or two year thing for some people. So we do like a mini cut of six to eight weeks, you know, get them looking a little bit better, feeling a little bit better, build that hunger back up. And then we do exactly the same thing, slowly add back in a bit more food, keep them hungry for as long as possible, continue working on their training. Um, One thing I do see people do that really ruins their build is training too much, you know, doing five or six sessions where maybe they only actually need four. But that fifth or sixth session costs them more food, and then that means their digestive system will, uh, I guess, become more compromised quicker because you have to push more food in to recover from that excess training where it may not be needed for that individual for example let's say you know for me six sessions for me is going to put way more uh stress on my central nervous system way more requirements for calories on my body which means i'm going to eat need a lot more food to continue to recover and grow which means over time i'll probably get sick of food faster than if I was doing four or five sessions, my insulin sensitivity will likely uh, become compromised quicker as well. So I think that's where Mark's really good with his training is, you know, you see a lot of people programming, Lots of days, whereas, you know, Mark will specifically give a, a bikini client maybe three, three lower, one upper or two upper, two lower. You know, there's understanding what the client needs and how much they need of it is really important when it comes to programming training, because then the food can, I guess... Work long term better if we understand the energy needs of someone, Um, particularly like an ectomorph. If they if they burn energy off really quickly, like someone who has let's say a really fast metabolism, uh, a wiry frame, you know, doing six sessions a week, they're trying to eat you know three thousand calories and their weight's barely moving. It's like, hey, you're probably going to benefit better from doing just four sessions and having more rest days and eating less food. You're going to grow better.
0: Yeah. Something you said there, I don't think people often think about enough is just things like your activity level. You know, activity level can be a great thing in, you know, in a calorie deficit to increase calorie expenditure. But in a build, if you're not super hungry or you're struggling with hunger and they love to go do sixteen thousand steps a day and they're just expending yeah. more and more calories, then obviously that's driving up their total daily energy expenditure. And they need more and more food to actually be in a real surplus. And sometimes it's actually just as you said, a reduction in a bit of movement um, and a bit of training volume can actually allow you to not potentially need even more and more food. Hundred um, percent. Something though, it's funny. Uh, you know, when you're working with a lot of clients who spend a lot of time, y- years and years and years in a, in a deficit or very low calories, or you know, they say they're in a deficit, yeah. but majority of the time they are, and then and whatnot. And you know, they're used to eating very low calories and they're hungry all the time. And then they see people in a surplus or a build, like a bodybuilder being like, oh, I'm not hungry at all. And they're always like, "Oh, yeah. like how could you not be hungry? People don't, yeah. I don't think realize kind of like metabolic adaptation kind of goes on both, both ends of the spectrum. Both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like something, you know, when you're dieting, you're just ravenous and you often think, oh man, when I can't wait to a build, it's going to be so easy. And all of a sudden you do a build, you gain a little bit of weight. And then your body works actually um, in the opposite end where it lowers your hunger to, you know, and you're kind of force feeding. So what would obviously, you know, if you're not hungry and stuff like that, you know, it depends on the client case, but you know, if you're talking to someone like yourself and you need to get calories in and you've got a specific goal, um, you know, and obviously you might've not been building for a long time. So you don't want to just go, let's do a mini cut and lose a bit of fat mass. What are kind of some like, strategies would you do or help with a client to when their hunger is is not super high like for me you know it's the kind of stereotypical maybe some more more liquid calories or something i've even done recently with some clients is actually just lower their protein because obviously protein is a bit more satiating so to allow them to you know obviously they're in a large calories amount of calories they probably don't need as much protein obviously in a big surplus and just by reducing protein for um, one of my clients recently it allowed them to feel less full to get those calories in. Like what are some tools you would use? Cause I know you obviously train really advanced people where you're probably going to be a bit more, you have to hit those calories versus Hey, a general population client where you're just trying to get them out of a deficit and get used to eating more calories.
1: So, yeah, like you said, protein is fantastic on on in a deficit for maintaining muscle mass. And there's plenty of studies out there to show, you know, the the higher end of the protein intake range will maintain more muscle mass, you know, when calories are lower, But then we also know the research that carbohydrates are protein sparing. So when you do have an abundance of carbohydrates, the requirements for protein are lower and protein being very satiating, as Mark mentioned, that means we can, you know, reduce protein down. So let's look at like myself, for example. I'm only eating 230 grams of protein, which, you know, you look at most bodybuilders who are a hundred kilos plus, you know, I, I sort of float between like stage ready. I'm about a hundred now off season, about 115. I still will only go to about 2.4 to 2.5 grams of protein per kilo of body weight. Some guys go all the way up to three, 3.3. They wonder why they're descended through the midsection. They wonder why they struggle to get their food in, and, you know, oftentimes associated with that is, you know, bloating and gas and all that sort of stuff from surplus protein. So for me, you nailed it there. Protein requirements are going to change dependent on the person. Like if you're reversing someone out, having protein higher is great until they, their hunger drops. And then you might reduce protein down and increase more carbohydrates to support training needs particularly around that training window. So doing things before, during, and after training, so we call that the peri workout window, uh, is really a great way to get in uh, calories for a client who is trying to improve performance. So with that being said, it might be prior to training, aiming for, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 grams of carbohydrates with an easy-to-digest carbohydrate source that's low in fiber. So that would be, you know, white rice, uh, creamer rice. I've just been dabbling in rice flour recently, which is like... um it's just like white flour, but it's made from rice. You mix it with water and it turns into almost like a paste, like cream rice. So for 100 grams of rice flour, which isn't much in a bowl, that's 73 grams of carbs. So, you know, do that with some honey, raisins, a little bit of whey protein. That can be a very calorie dense meal that digest like barely touches the sides from a volume perspective, um, then during training, using intra-workout carbohydrates such as a uh, highly branched cyclodextrin, which will move through the gut so you don't need any uh, as much blood in the stomach to use it. It'll move straight through the stomach into the small intestine where it can then be absorbed and pulled into the blood for use during training, uh, even though the stomach has normally you know, got less blood flow there because it moves through that. That means for us where the ditch of your carbohydrate depletion during training, if you didn't have carbs, might go like that. Uh, So, you know, it might go from, you know, let's say, let's use an analogy of a gas tank, full tank down to half a tank with no intra-workout carbs. So then after your workout, you've got to then put in half a tank of carbs to then build yourself back up to fully glycogen state. Whereas if you're taking in liquid carbohydrates, you might only tap into 10% of that tank. So coming out of the session, you have less uh, need to load as much in and you're going to start the recovery process faster due to having less uh, depletion during the workout. So intra-workout carbs are great as well. And then post-workout using some easy-to-digest carbohydrates that I guess a lot of people would not deem as a health food. But when we're talking about, you know, uh, the calories getting to that point where you do need a lot of them, something like, you know, rice bubbles, cream of rice, again, honey is great. Even using the carb powder again uh, and putting in, you know, some banana Whey protein, those sorts of things around the workout window. So you're getting in. A decent whack of carbs after training as well. Um, you know, we know there's not that anabolic window after training, but there is plenty of studies to support that replacement of carbohydrates after a workout does help with recovery. So with doing those things there, not only are we able to hit that higher calorie requirement, but we also tick a few boxes in terms of, you know, we're recovering a little bit faster than if we didn't do those things. Now, let's say we recover one hour faster every session than the person who's not doing those things over five sessions a week that's five hours over a whole year that's 250 hours of uh, better recovery than the person who's not doing those things now you stack that over five years of training that's a lot you know it's a lot more improved recovery that's a lot more tissue that you could potentially build Um, that's a lot more improvements in training performance over future sessions as well because remember with muscle building it's not always just the weight going up on the scale, it's it's your ability to perform in the session and improve those lifts, which is the driver of muscle growth, you know, progressive overload is the number one stimulus for that. If you're not doing that across the board in your sessions, then you're probably not going to be maximizing your results.
0: When it comes to, obviously being a nutritionist, you know, you, you, you want your clients to be eating high quality foods, you know, micro dense foods. And, you know, we'll talk about things like obviously fiber dense foods and, you know, low GI and and whatnot um, for the most part, but something that you said there and I liked where you touched on, and I I actually didn't bring this up in Lauren's build recently that she did was that actually trying to eat more and more calories, especially with like really Mike, um, um, really, sorry, fiber-dense kind of foods, they can actually be quite hard to get a lot of calories in. And then mm-hmm. if you are actually, for example, you know, if you get a female and they're used to being on 1,800 calories and, you know, eating 25 grams of fiber and all of a sudden, you know, they build up and they're eating, you know, 2,800, 3,000 calories, but they're eating the same foods, but then their fiber total keeps going up and up and up and up yeah, and they'll up. they'll be on like
1: 40, 40 grams of fiber by the end of that. and then Yeah, of- and that's where it's you kind issue. of...
0: Yeah. And that's where I think, you know, again, that's also going to play a part in them just feeling even more full and more bloated. Like um, I saw you touch on fiber. Oh, maybe it was Alicia Jake's partner. I'm friends. Of, she um, yeah. mentioned fiber recently. Um, Do you just want to actually just while we're here touch kind of on your kind of fiber recommendation because um, yeah, is it, Is it kind of, you? I generally kind of use a bit of a range um, and obviously kind of the higher end range in a deficit, but then I Mm -hmm. do see, you know, in a build sometimes when you're using that, that, that range, when, when you get someone eating really high surplus, but they've kept the same high quality foods, which is great. We want quality, but then that's also making them struggle in that kind of building phase. Whereas obviously you mentioned some of the more high GI carbs, people often be like, Oh my God, you're telling them to eat bad foods. Yeah. It's like no, it's just. It's, You've yeah. got to
1: remember, yeah. like in a calorie surplus, your residual fiber is it builds up over the day. You know, even if you're just having white rice and a bagel, you know, two or three grams of fiber here and there. When you're eating a large amount of calories, you might hit your your fiber needs without even really adding any fruits and vegetables, just through rices and you know cereals, breads, all those things that we we will need to eat to get the food. And so, you there is a, that's the balancing act of building muscle and performance and health. And that's trying to meet in the middle of having the best of both worlds. So when that happens, it's like, Hey, high quality foods, we can still choose things like, you know, rice, we can still choose, uh, you know, quality meats. We can still choose quality fats, but we might move away from things like, you know, pumpkin and sweet potato as our primary carb sources during that phase and air towards things that digest a little bit better for that individual Again, it's only a short period of time um, for most, you know, not everyone's in a build all the time uh, and still just ensuring that when you do uh, use like a a food, like a fat, you know, use a quality one. If you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, don't use shitty fats like peanut butter all day long, you know, like use some avocado, use some, you know, some olive oil, some nuts and seeds. So You've got to pick and choose your battles. So if your carbs are really high and your fiber is going to be, you know, something that you have to bend on, then you want to try and get some quality micro and macronutrients from other things. I always try to include fruit in diets and stuff as well. Uh, but coming back to your fiber question, I go off 14 grams of fiber per thousand calories that the, the individual's eating as their sort of main target uh, but again like you said mark some people will naturally eat 30 to 40 grams of fiber per day because they've been a long-term dieter so they've sat in a calorie deficit for a long time they're used to eating low calories and very high fiber food so that they're actually adjusted to that and without 30 or 40 grams of fiber they might find they become constipated whereas you might find someone who's been not eating much fiber at all because they just had a really shit diet. You put them on this super healthy diet. they're like, I'm full all the time. I'm full all the time. Um, we get that with our challenge because, you know, these people are going from eating processed crap food, probably 10 grams of fiber a day. Then you give them this meal plan with all this, you know, like vegetables and fruit and stuff. And they're at, they might only be at 25 to 30 grams, which is for a, you know, a dieting female, pretty reasonable. Uh, but to them, that makes them feel like, oh man, I'm so full. And they feel, I'm going to put this in air quotations, bloated. It's like, no, you're not bloated. You're just eating foods that are keeping you satiated, which means you're going to stop eating those shitty foods in your pantry that stops you from reaching your results. So, yeah, fiber is a great tool, but it can, just like everything, swing both ways. It can make things really hard in a build and really, you know, easy in a deficit.
0: Yeah, that kind of (laughs) leads to the next point in regards to fiber because. You know, as you said, it can lead to things like constipation. And it's funny, I have clients you know, in long-term builds and they message me about being constipated. And then I have clients in ends ends of cuts and they message me about being constipated, even though they're on dramatically different calories and ones on super high fiber, their fiber is too high, probably leading to constipation. And then other clients, their fiber is too low and on really low calories, stressed out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then can't go to the bathroom. And that kind of... um. Mm-hmm kind of transitions me into um a a former um client of ours um um emily hearn so emily hearn when she compete last year Jake, was it last year yeah Yeah, last last year about a year ago yeah
1: yeah october yeah yeah
0: Yeah, so emily guys i'm sure you guys know i trained um last year and um she won her wbff bikini show and i trained emily for like three years or so in the lead up but because of um covid we didn't compete and stuff like that and then um in the lead up to her show last year emily got um you know she had she had fun in her build phase and you know went away and had surgery and stuff like that so we had a pretty hard cut in order to do um actually, it was like yeah it might have been like 12
1: kilos or 12 uh, i think it was yeah or... you know, i think it was high i yeah. was
0: like yeah, 15 or something like that yeah and yeah. so she had a lot of weight to move in a, in a short amount of time. And Emily, you know, super, super kind of in the zone. Hey, I want to do this day. Yep. I want it. I was like, okay, cool. And that also means, you know, quite aggressive deficits and high trading volume. And unsurprisingly, it kind of led to some gut issues. And then um, Jake mm-hmm. came in and I remember it was, I think it was about six weeks out, seven weeks yeah. out. Um, Emily was losing and losing and losing. But was feeling worse and worse and worse. Her belly was just feeling more bloated, like uncomfortably bloated, mm. not able to go to the bathroom. And for me, I was always like, you know, she's getting leaner. Cause you know, I always think, yes, there's bloating, but it's probably masking the progress on the scale, you know, I mean, calorie mm-hmm. deficit, et cetera. Yeah. And for me, I was like, Oh, you know, end end of prep, you know, I know last week before prep increased calories, restoration, stress will come down, but it got to a stage where it was so uncomfortable. And then, um, Jake came and helped and took over her nutrition to take care of um, what was going on. So do you kind of, and well, long story short, quite quickly, I think Emily improved and, um, you know, were able to still push things to get her lean enough, but all of a sudden it made it a lot easier, the prep when she didn't feel terrible. And, you know, she lost that bloating all of a sudden and the scale dropped down even more and more and more. And then on stage. You know, she looked amazing and won and you know, made Jake and I look good, which is always nice when you have a client um do well. And so Jake, do you want to kind of give a rundown? Cause I've actually never kind of gone over it, um, what you kind of saw there with Emily and what you were looking for. Cause I remember in that time we tried a few things, things like obviously, you know, we've spoken about kind of like low fodmap foods and things like that. And all right, playing with volume and and stress management and stuff like that. And that didn't, for me, I normally find majority of the time that gives you a lot of good things, you know, kind of transitioning, but not always. And for Emily, it didn't, you know, do the job um, with that. What were, you know, what for you, what were you kind of looking for there and what do you think were kind of the big kind of rocks that kind of led to improvement for her? So, yeah,
1: Mark did a fantastic job. And it really was a accumulation of things that caused uh, Emily's situation. So first of all, completely out of anyone's control, the reduction in calories over time, and particularly because it was uh, a lot of weight loss, her calories got low we normally see uh, under around 1500 calories, you start to see a decline in uh, gastric emptying and the ability for the digestive system to actually move things at a normal rate. So obviously she was under 1500 calories. So, We looked at at a few things there with her calories, uh, bringing them slightly up. Like Mark said, reducing protein down is a good option. Increasing fat. Fat can assist with digestion to a certain degree, even though increases in fat will cause a change in glycemic load with a meal. So it will cause it to uh, delay gastric emptying with fat added to a meal. It can assist with digestive function as well. So, we tweaked the macros around a little bit to try and uh, unburden her digestive tract on the lower calories to try and make things move a little bit better. We also looked at, she was doing macros and the first thing I said is, show me your MyFitnessPal. And there was a few key things that jumped out at me. You know, there was a, a casein custard in there, which is notorious for causing bloating and discomfort in people. Uh, so we removed that. She was eating things uh, like, broccoli as well which is a cruciferous vegetable which sits in the gut and it causes great amount of satiation which is good for people who are dieting but if you if it sits there too long it produces methane and methane causes a massive amount of bloating and gas for a lot of people so when your digestion slows because you're on low calories and then you're eating a higher level of fiber to fill yourself up and often people will go for things like broccoli cauliflower broccolini they don't move out of the gut. So they sit there and they create these gases, which this then furthermore causes more gastric discomfort. So looking at the food sources, I had to just switch over to like really light salads, control the amount of salads, control the fiber a bit more. The other thing we look at is soluble to insoluble fiber ratio. Too much of, um, you know, too much soluble fiber can cause the stool to bind up and, uh, that can be an issue as well. So just, just getting the ratio of the, her fiber type right as well, removing some, poor quality fats like, you know, like a Nutella or a Biscoff and replacing that with some seeds, uh, which again, add quality fiber, add omega-3 fats that reduce inflammation. Little things like this across the board, it was a lot of changes and a lot of things. We also increased her hydration. If fiber is high and you're not increasing your hydration to uh, manage that, then you end up with really hard stool that becomes hard to pass because, you know, the fiber will drag in water to make the stool, you know, able to be passed. And if you're not, if you're sweating a lot, you're training a lot and you're not drinking enough, um, then that can be an issue as well. And obviously the last thing is, yes, stress. So we did need to change a few things. We did a few high days here and there to allow her body to have a little bit of a break, uh, you know, walk some calories up a little bit, change the output. So the, the net deficit was the same, but we were doing it through a different manner. So this is, you know, these are all just things that we step-by-step step changed in order to see progression. Uh, we also modified the things she was taking because she was taking things to try and go to the bathroom. And sometimes, again, that can cause Other issues, when you're taking a handful of different things, you don't know what's working and what's not. So we stripped those out and we just went back to to one product, which was to a stool softener, just to ensure the stools became soft enough to pass. And then we started to get those moving through as well. So there was a lot of little things that she just needed to change to get this to work on the calories that she was on to continue to get the result that Mark had been getting for weeks and weeks prior, it just needed a a shakeup. And we went from macros to a meal plan. And that's something that, you know, I know Mark wants to talk about. And that's a perfect example of where a meal plan can be superior to macros is when you're trying to control variables such as, hey, I'm unsure why this person's not digesting things. So let's strip everything out. Let's make it super, I hate using the word clean, but I guess super whole food focused and less food from a packet, less foods that have like binding agents like guar gum, exanth gum, a lot of artificial sweeteners from, you know, energy drinks, pre-workouts, diet sodas, all of those things uh, in isolation may cause nothing, but in a package of all of it happening at once causes a, a huge problem. So sometimes it's, you've just got to strip back to basics and that can rectify a lot of um, issues there as well.
0: fun as well kind of everything you said there well a lot of it not everything was fixing certain things but you know obviously peak week people kind of overcomplicate peak week peak week is mm-hmm. for all you guys don't know kind of the week before kind of your comp you know and people do all these crazy methods and not that i train bodybuilders and i've you know i always look at you know male Bodybuilders is kind of a different thing from Peak Week and whereas I train bikini competitors, much less muscle mass, nowhere near as lean and not you know, not impacting a lot of things. And you know, I often get asked, like, hey, what do you do for your your clients to like all these different things? And for me, I've always just been like, We just want restoration, you know, just making them stress less, hydrated, um, choosing foods that, you know, actually work for them and you know, getting rid of the foods that don't actually you know they you know foods that that don't agree with you and you know often obviously emily's case was quite different but even just those peak week periods of just a couple days of all of sudden sudden clients increasing calories they feel i may feel great they look better than ever and stuff like that but it kind of just leads me to with what jake was kind of saying where sometimes you make changes and often people feel terrible you know, in cuts and they're doing long term cuts and, you know, they're not cutting for a comp or something, but they start to feel worse and worse and worse. But they're just so terrified to kind of make a change or have a break and yeah. increase their calories and back off. And, you know, hey, let's have a diet break. Let's play with the macros. Let's do a little bit yeah. less. Um, so yeah, I, I just think what Jake said there just can carry over for a lot of client situations and sometimes going backwards, even just and not backwards, but, you know, slowing things down can actually then make you feel better. Yeah to then accelerate things forward. Mm.
1: One step back to take two steps forward is how I sort of pitch it to my clients when I say, hey, look, these are all the things that are happening and you can either keep going and accumulate more and more stress, inflammation, that sort of stuff or we can take a step back and you know rinse off some of that inflammation rinse off some of that stress get cortisol down improve digestion and then you'll have another two weeks of great progress before you start to probably feel like this and if we catch it in time you would have made enough progress in that time that it makes up for that one or two or three day period and then we can do it again and then rinse and repeat rinse and repeat and then when you come into peak week you don't have to i guess spend the hot you have a better opportunity to peak the client in a way that looks, they look their best because you're not trying to fix like 12 weeks worth of inflammation. And, you know, they're trying to go to the bathroom and that's the problem if they've been eating super low calories and all of a sudden in a week, the calories need to jump right up that can go cause more gastric issues. And then they can't poop and they become bloated. And then they're taking laxatives during peak week. And it's like, there needs to be that sort of fine line. And I feel that's where using, you know, protocols such as, you know, refeeds and high days or diet breaks using the same foods that you would use, uh, you know, in your diet and in peak week can allow you to sort of see, okay, what's the carbohydrate tolerance of that individual before, you know, we get a negative effect. Do, how Where do they does their look start to improve? You know, is it, double their carb intake as it triple their carb intake when we start to see okay the muscle starts to clock glycogen starts to go in there it's harder the muscles harder against the skin digestion's moving really well they're sleeping better understanding those leading into the show gives you a a, a lot of data for that peak week so again you're not Guessing anything, you're like, hey, water. We just got to keep that nice and high. You know, keep sodium and potassium nice and high. Increase food across the week until you reach that look, and then bring it back down to the number you know maintains their 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 weight or their look. And then it might just be a little bit less water uh, and fiber the day before, and boom, it's way laughing.
0: Exactly. Some.
1: Yeah. I, I, I
0: still think it's something for a lot of like, yeah, bikini competitors and smaller people, they can't overcomplicate it. You know, there's a, you know, oh. you either, you either look, you know, you're yeah. Yeah, like, Oh, the magic's in the last week. You you want people to look already, you know,
1: great. Right. Yeah. And then yeah, all these but, things but, matter.
0: Right. But not. Yeah.
1: But different when you're like, you're a hundred and something kilos, like two, 3% body fat, you do need more time to, you know, assimilate the carbohydrates. So you don't end up distended because for me to fill up, I might need thousands of grams of carbohydrates. If I try to do that in a two-day window like we would with like a bikini girl who may only need like 300 one day, 450 the next, and then pull it down, that's going to leave me looking very bloated. I'm going to have a hard time hitting my poses So understanding the requirements of the individual as well, which again is data collection through the prep, can make that last week so much easier. So I actually do a two-week peak for myself this time around. So week one is walking myself out of the deficit, reducing output, uh, increasing carbohydrates, and allowing my body time to actually assimilate them without putting so much in that I have gastric discomfort. Then over time, over the course of a week, my body weight, goes up, my waist still stays nice and tight, my my look improves. And then I know, oh, spilled over. There's, you know, my weight's gone to a certain point. My look's starting to look a little bit softer in certain shops. That's where we know that, hey, we've sort of maxed out glycogen stores. And now your body is sort of spilling over that glycogen uh, and extracellular water into the under the skin compartment, we know that's pretty much you're going to be pretty loaded. Now that gives me a week from that point to maintain that higher glycogen level while at the end of the the following week, bringing my water down to, I guess, air quotations again, dry out, which all we know is the reduction of uh, extracellular fluid while maintaining intracellular fullness and that's all really peaking is is trying to create a full muscle with glycogen and water without any spill into the subcutaneous uh, cavities um and you know there's been lots of there's actually been some studies i'm going to send this to mark so i was reading uh, a meta-analysis the other day on uh, peaking protocols for bodybuilders and there's so many variables that people don't look at you know intramuscular triglyceride stores so so many people trying to carb up with no fats good luck getting optimal fullness when Uh, i saw a couple yeah
0: a couple years ago stuff people were starting talking about like fat loading in peak week and stuff like that which was quite interesting
1: so there's actually a study so um they did a double blind crossover and they had uh six days of carb loading versus three-day fat loading then three-day carb loading and that worked better than six days of just carb loading because Getting the intramuscular triglyceride stores topped up first allowed for a better absorption of carbohydrates and a a 40% larger bicep cross-section than the carb-only group. So that's where, as a a scientist, I look at, okay, well, you know, carbs are great, but we can't not look at fat when we're also trying to fill someone up because there is intramuscular triglyceride stores. Sodium is really important for putting uh, uh, water into the muscle. Uh, As we know, sodium and carbohydrates bind to water. Potassium is also critical in muscular contraction and fullness as well. So ensuring there's also potassium in the diet during that time. And this is the problem with bodybuilders. They're so void of variety. They're like, oh, I eat chicken, oats, egg whites, chicken. You know, like, so it's like, yeah, where are you getting these other things that are required to complete this process? So once you understand the process of what a full muscle requires, then you can work backwards from that To get those things in your, uh, I guess, protocols to understand that. So, you know, potatoes, bananas, spinach, ensuring those things are in your diet, salt, making sure you know how much salt you're having and you keep that consistent, making sure you know how much water you're having, you keep that consistent. You're not going to dry out and carb load at the same time. They're two different processes, and one requires more water and sodium, and the other one requires slightly less water and slightly less sodium. So, Understanding how the the body works and those things, you can do it more effectively, and that's where you know you would use the start of your peak week if you're doing a one week load to get uh, maximum glycogen concentration by loading in carbohydrates at you know between two and four times your baseline amount. Ensuring you've got adequate fats there to uh, accompany that adequate sodium and high water and ensuring potassium in the diet. And then once you're loaded, then you switch to reducing your carbohydrates and potentially reducing a little bit of water and sodium at the last minute to flush out any uh, Q water that has been spilled over. And then you wake up dry as a bone and your, your day is just basically maintaining that look. And I'll touch on this really quickly. On show day, people go, oh, I'm feeling flat, I'm feeling flat. You're not flat if you did that properly. You're likely just not having enough water and sodium. So I'll have my clients literally mixing salt and water and drinking it, sit down for five, 10 minutes, go try pump up. If they pump up better, great. We keep putting a little bit more salt and water in until we see them actually getting fuller and fuller and fuller. So on on show day, I'm not punching in carbs for a lot of people. That should have already been done. If I've done my job right, you should already be loaded. You're not going to get... Uh, glycogen depleted on friday and show day just from sitting around doing nothing like you're not training you're not doing steps you're not doing cardio uh so you should be able to maintain that over two days relatively easily just by trickling carbohydrates and if you're flat on show day it's likely something to do with your electrolytes hydration or you were stupid and took like a, a diuretic without understanding how it works
0: i think like all that information's you know amazing and everyone should get a lot of value from that um my only one thing i'd say and this is this is something i'm sure you'll you'll hear or see with clients all the time is that you can nail all these variables and all that stuff but a lot of the time people you know get on stage and and whatnot and they compete and they're like oh well it's because my peak week and you know they're like i didn't have this and it's like well maybe you just didn't have the muscle mass yet or maybe you just weren't as lean like you can (laughs) There's yes, peak week and all that stuff can be fantastic. If you're in a you know, if you you go into peak week at, you know, 10 out of 10 condition, you're lean, you've got the muscle mass, then all these things help even more. But, you know, if you're ten percent away from being stage lean and then you, you know, people go, Oh, I pumped up and I did this water, and then they're like, Oh, but you know, my peak week I think was off because I spilled over. I had too many carbs. It's like, was it that you had too many carbs and you spilled over, or were you just three, four kilos, um, too high, um, weight. And And, that's why you didn't look as good as you thought.
1: And sometimes it's the feedback that a judge or something gives them. Oh, you need to be drier or, Oh, you need to be fuller. It's like, well, no, you don't need to be drier. You need to be leaner. You need to drop more body fat next time. And if it's fuller, if you did a peak and you're not, and you, you, you got as full as you could get, you're not going to get fuller by doing two or three more days of carb loading. You can only fill the muscle up to a certain point. You just need more muscle. And that's the problem is people take these, I guess, um, colloquial terms like dry and full and think that it's something to do with what happened in that last week. Or it might be like, hey, mate, you just weren't lean and you actually are only 80 kilos. You need another five kilos of mass to be looking like that guy. Um, so you're dead right, Mark. It's sometimes it's just actually being better than what you think rather than relying on the peak as, Get in better shape than possible, which is, you know, what I did with Jenna when she competed. She was so lean uh, two weeks out because I needed her to be that lean to see her glutes uh, where they needed to be. And then we added more food in to fill and smooth her out. But that maintained the glute look like, you know, she's not going to put fat on her glutes in a week of eating carbohydrates, but they will fall out, push hard against the skin. That looks even better get rid of some of that vascularity by, you know, like filling out with more food, more water, more sodium. And then at the last minute, you just pull a little bit of water down, a little bit of salt down, and that will allow her to get a little bit of a tighter look for stage. So, you know, there's so many things that, you know, people don't consider and they think the peak week's going to add a lot more than it really does. You should really be looking at the peak week as, you know, if you're not looking stage ready one week out, then your peak week probably isn't going to do
0: that much well, um on the topic of jenna that kind of leads us kind of where i want to go to finish off because it's been a long episode we can chat and chat um but i want to talk about <laughs> i want to talk about um the topic of meal plans and so that's something obviously um you you do a lot of with your clients um for myself i've always kind of been macro based calorie based and and whatnot and you know over the years I've kind of gone back and forth, you know, oh, this and, oh. you know, meal plans are the way to go originally then I went macros heavy and being macros heavy. And then the last couple of years, I think I've kind of had a bit more of a nuanced approach to it. say, like, oh, actually now I can see a pro and a con, you know, for, for, for all these things. Yeah. And, you know, often I used to say, and I do agree with it that, you know, macros tracking teaches you a lot and a lot of people you know it can help them go oh i'm, I'm learning about calories and macros where let's say you know your mom goes and does weight watches and it tells them to eat these kind of foods and they do a meal plan and they go all right mm. well i lost weight because i ate these foods because it was on the plan well mm. you, you you lost weight because you had a calorie the you know reduction of calories mm. and whatnot um but i think my kind of the way i kind of look at it these days is that not everyone is a doing a diet to just learn you know they're doing a diet to get a fat loss response and for some people a meal plan can be something obviously that drives in adherence or simplicity they don't have to think um and you know so often the term kind of used is hey well maybe do a meal plan for someone starting out so they don't have to think and let's get them the fat loss result first and then worry about education not make it overwhelming but then on the flip side I know you also um, like to use meal plans for more your advanced competitors. And, and um, that kind of, we were talking about before um, Jenna, who we both used to train. Jenna, I remember when I was training, geez, Jenna, maybe 2018 or something. She was, she was a person who, you know, you can tell all the calories and macros and she'd be really, really good, but then go into her binge phases where she would message me back, at 10 o'clock at night hey i just ate a whole thing of rice cakes a whole packet i'm like oh cool mm. you know so but then um when jenna worked with jake she she got in an amazing condition and went on to win her bikini show and obviously you know she still focused calories and macros but she actually stuck and adhered to the calories and macros you, you can set the calories you can set it to calorie deficit but whether or not they adhere to it is a big thing and i remember for jenna that that made a big difference for her so how do you kind of look at a, um, assessing like meal plans first, kind of just calories and macros, and if someone just wants calories and macros, are you are you happy with that? And then B, I guess, how do you look at you know the the learning process of hey, do I want to have a client, you know, just get the result and don't worry about? It, let's just focus on that, or is it the same time you think you can you can do both, um, educate them and have them have a bit more structure
1: yeah that it's such a good question and it really has so many different um i guess applications so the way i do a meal plan is also they have the option to swap certain foods out so let's say they're 100 grams of rice they can swap it for 170 grams of potato um, or whatever it might be so they have the option to change things around within their meal plan themselves, uh, which gives them a little bit of freedom that I feel is an easy segue to teaching them to track macros. So they're already changing the amounts out. It's just a matter of then, okay, now let's learn how to use this app, start scanning things, you know, build your meal plan in your app, and then you can, might want to replace this with that by scanning something and see what, gets close to it. Um, So there's an easy segue from a meal plan to tracking if the client wants it, but it comes down to if the client wants it. It's like a business owner. Some of them want an accountant to do everything and just pay the tax bill. Others want to know how to learn zero. They want to see their profit and loss. They want to understand, you know, every aspect of that, but that's uh, something they want versus what the accountant wants. So it really comes down to what the client wants, what their needs are. And then you can go from there. Macros, I feel, is a great long-term solution for most people. And if you do a dieting phase on a meal plan, when you transition to a maintenance phase, that's where I'd start to go, hey, I want you to start to track to these macros, which are on your meal plan, one day a week. I want you to put together a plan, email it to me. I'll have a review of it. Happy with that. You know, I'll give them their carb choices, their protein choices, their fat choices, their fiber uh, level, all of that stuff. So they know what's the best things to choose. And then if they want to fit something fun in, they can, provided they're using the majority of the foods that I say, hey, these are your best sort of choices for, you know, carbs and proteins and fats, just from a, you know, a a variety uh, micro, macronutrient point of view. Um, That's a great thing long-term for someone who is, done their fat loss, they're just maintaining, they want to go out for dinner with their friends, they can learn how to do that and still maintain their result. For a competitor, again, if they're doing macros, I'll give them specific foods for carbs, protein, fats that I would like them to use. Um, and then from there, let them sort of build out their own plan based on what they're doing. But I will check it as we go along, because particularly if they start complaining like, hey, I'm feeling a little bit bloated. Cool, send me over your MyFitnessPal I'm going I have a look oh, yep, yeah, sweet, get rid of that custard, get rid of the broccoli, get rid of this, get rid of that, and then change it out for these things here. Let me know how you feel this week. I feel way better. Great. You know, so then you can start to teach them that way, like, hey, some of these foods aren't agreeing with you because of X, Y, Z reasons. Now, with a meal plan and compliance like you spoke about with Jenna, like you said, the deficit was the same. Everything was the same, basically, apart from she got to choose what she ate versus – I worked with her and said, okay, where is your main issue with your food? Oh, sometimes I just don't know what to eat or I leave it too long. And then I'm eating, you know, uh, you know, I, I eat a croissant for breakfast and then come dinner time, I've got like a hundred calories left. So then I have something stupid like an egg white omelette. Then I'm hungry at 10 PM and I binge on some rice cakes. It's like, okay, cool. So you've got shit time management. Um, or ship planning. Um, So by planning out, okay, how many meals do you want to do a day? Four meals, here's your four meals, boom, give them meals, give them some options to swap some things out. That just gives them that opportunity to go to the supermarket, prep everything, every day they know what they're going to eat. If they leave the house, they know what to take with them and it just builds uh, adherence. And that's honestly, all it is for a lot of people is just adherence because you're giving them a set plan and they don't have to think for themselves. Some people, even though they can think for themselves, they might be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, oh, I'm going to meet a friend, I'll have a couple of wines, and they track that in, and then that turns into, oh, let's go eat this, and then they're way over, uh, and they try and sub it out the next day by running super low calories, and the next thing you know, they're binging by the end of the weekend because they've just tried to balance things too much, so you know, by having a set game plan for someone. And if they're like, Hey, I'm going out for dinner. What should I do here? You can be like, Hey, here is your, I guess, um, guidelines for the meal out. You're going to have, you know, uh, show me the menu. Okay, cool. Let's go with the fish. Let's go with the salad. And, you know, you can have one wine with that. And then once you're done there, call it, head home, you've got dessert waiting for you, which is, you know, yogurt or fruit or whatever it might be away you go. And then you can start the next day in a good place. So, it just takes some of that freedom out where people kind of take a mile when they should only be taking an inch. Um, and that again just comes down to compliance. So for me, meal plans have their place, macros have their place. Personally, I prefer a, a client to eventually transition over to macros so they can manage their food like if they're traveling. Like you go to another country and you're trying to figure out what you're trying to eat. It's so much easier if you're you, you know, you understand macros than if you're on a meal plan.
0: You know, though, something I realized not even that long ago, I was was talking to, I think it was maybe my friend Sheridan, and we're talking about, you know, the whole idea of flexible dieting and whatnot. Even though if you're doing calories and macros or you're doing flexible dieting, you're still primarily doing a meal plan. It's just that you, you know, like, and you want, you, you don't want to wake up every morning and be like, I've got no idea what meal breakfast I'm going to have. I've got no idea what lunch I'm going to have. I've got no, I mean, like really you, you are pretty much just doing a meal plan, regardless if you're kind of flexible dieting and whatnot, because you should have structure, you should be planning ahead. And it's Mm. primarily just that, Hey, maybe we just have a bit more variation where, or we have, you know. The understanding of hey, if things didn't go to plan and you had to, you know, you p- forgot your lunch, you can still make educated decisions. But you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the times people think and like I've done in the past was you know, if it fits your macros, every day was just like, wh- what can I have today? And it's stressful, you know. It's like uh, it, it's like mm-hmm. it's like p- playing Tetris, you know. It's just trying to find, mm-hmm. make something fit, and you don't know. And then yeah. some days you you end up by you know, 5 p.m. you've got 100 calories left. And then other days you've got by 5 p.m. 1,500 calories left because you just have no structure and you're just all over the place. And that's why even when you're doing flexible dieting, you know, having pretty much a good base of a plan and um, structure, I think, is is somewhat meal plans.
1: (laughs) Key go-to meals, you know, like program in a couple of breakfast options for yourself, you know, save them as meals. And then the night before or the start of the day, Plan your day out, boom, away you go. If you pre-plan it, then, hey, you might get to that meal and you're like, oh, I'm really am not feeling like, you know, steak and potatoes for dinner. These are the macros left there. What can I do with that? You know, then you're not throwing your whole day out. You know, hey, I've just got to work within those macros for that one meal that I've pre-programmed that maybe I want to change out. Or like you said, oh, if something happens, friend calls you up. What are you doing for dinner? You want to go out for dinner? Yeah, sure. That sounds good. Look at your macros. Okay, I've allocated 800 calories for dinner. I've just got to kind of be smart and work to that, you know? So I definitely agree. That's where most people go wrong with macros is they treat it as every day is an opportunity to do whatever they want, where really they should be. If you're training, you know, if you're doing this for a reason in terms of like trying to benefit your health, fitness or a goal, you should be kind of adding in some sort of structure. It's like going to work and just being like, what do I feel like working on today? Do I want to make some content or building a training plan? (laughs) you know but like what am i doing yeah for the most part you have an idea of like okay cool like this is a project this is a deadline i've got these things to do i'll do xyz today um so yeah i definitely agree with you on that man like it's most people most people fail on macros is because they're not pre-planning and that's where people go like they go oh man i've got nothing left today to eat and because alicia will even say that to me sometimes and i'm like did you plan your day today and she's like what? Rookie era, <laughs> especially when you're on low calories. That's a rookie era, and even on high calories. To be honest, like like you said, if you you're not playing a day out, you get to four p.m. and you're meant to be eating three thousand calories, and you're only eaten twelve hundred. It's like okay, cool. Like I got eighteen hundred calories to try get in tonight, you know. And that's when you start making stupid choices and waking up with like sore tummies or oh, I'll just fit in, you know, Big Mac combo or something. And it's like, well, that's not really food that's going to help you train better tomorrow, is it? On, well, um,
0: it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it, there's always a middle ground, but I think, yeah, I actually think these days it's much of a muchness. Like I think they're actually kind of the same thing. It's just how you, what whatever you call it, you know, it's it, how it, you it, package yeah. it up, bro. Literally, just like anything, you know. it's
1: just how you package it up. Yeah. Uh, it used to be like the two sides. It was like meal planning and clean eating crew versus uh, if it fits your macros crew. And now it's like, well, everyone kind of does the same thing. Then if you have nutrition, literacy, literacy and knowledge, you understand like, even if you're on a meal plan, oh Jake wants me to have this meal that's 400 calories I'm out I'll aim for 400 calories with something with like 20 or 30 grams of protein in it if fats and carbs don't marry up I'm still going to be pretty good by the end of the day um so you know there is still the opportunity with a meal plan to use macros as a tool to help human situations
0: it's funny I also sometimes you get people who obviously newer to the to the whole world of nutrition and they're like oh i've never done calories and macros i've i've only done meal plans and that that's different from calories i'm like well it's still calories you know it's it's just how you package it so in the end um so jake obviously we've had a long chat um i appreciate (laughs) having you on i'm sure everyone got a lot of value do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find um your coaching and and who you are looking to help and yeah let them know
1: Okay, guys. So, yeah, thank you for having me. First of all, Mark, you know, Mark's a good friend of mine. We could talk all day about this stuff. We love it. Uh, for me, I have my Instagram, jcampusnutrition. I have my website that has all our different coaching options from lifestyle nutrition only packages to lifestyle training and nutrition packages to You know, two or three times a year, we run fat loss challenges to my performance and VIP coaching for athletes, photo shoots, that sort of stuff. So we do encompass a lot. I only personally work with, um, you know, a select group of people, but I oversee our performance sector, which is uh, with our performance coach. And I also work with the nutritionists that work for me on the lifestyle plan, helping them to build out and help their clients as well. And you can find all that information on www.jcn.co.nz um and yeah i would if you've got any questions shoot me a dm on instagram but yeah love helping people any goal you can hit me up and we will have a chat about it and we can go from there
0: Awesome. And guys, we'll have um on the podcast page on Spotify and Apple as well, Jake's Instagram and website. So if you guys want to go there and go follow Jake, because he posts a lot of really valuable education content for all of you. So I highly recommend J- Jake to give him a follow. All right, mate. Well, I appreciate it. It's been a long chat. I know you've got things to do. So yeah, thank you so much, mate. I appreciate it, Jake.
1: You're welcome, bro.